0: what's up friends this is the 37th episode of the afros and nice podcast the interview series all about black women working leading and innovating in food and beverage wine hospitality food justice food education food media agriculture and food science and technology. I am your host, Tiffany Rozier, and in this episode, I have the privilege of speaking with founder and CEO of Sojourn Heritage Accommodations, Kristen Kitchen. Sojourn Heritage is a heritage tourism brand where luxury meets history. Kristen is the owner and operator of Six Acres Bed and Breakfast, a house in the Underground Railroad Network, which she converted into a very successful hospitality business in Cincinnati, Ohio. In 2014, Kristen launched a new brand of boutique hotels, blending the intimacy of a bed and breakfast with the amenities of a first class hotel. The Sojourn Heritage Hotel brand focuses on African-American history, culture, and urban life with an aim to share history and inspire community building. Be sure to become a part of the Afrozen Knives Collective, powered by Mighty Networks, to continue the conversation. And I so love talking to Kristen. She had just so many jewels and gems and so much wisdom to offer. I hope you enjoy our conversation or listening to our conversation as much as I liked having it. See, Afrozen Knives we've gone from being a just a podcast to a very vibrant community. So again, get connected to the Afros and Collective where you can continue the discussions that we start in the podcast. Let's see, this episode is sponsored by uh, Global Cutlery USA and the generosity of the Afros and Ice Patreon community. Be sure to become a part of the Patreon community by visiting patreon.com backslash Afros and Knives. And that allows us to see your monthly support coming through. So without further ado, let's get to this interview with Kristen. And you can just catch us up again on like Six Acres and your work in real estate and how that transitioned into hospitality. And then tell me a little bit more about the six acre property in and of itself, like how you discovered the historical context there and how that's reflected in like the design and in the service and, and all of that good business.
1: Okay. So six acres is a historic site that was actually part of the underground railroad. So I came to the house when I was in high school and the owners told me it's historic significance. And I just kind of hung on to that story. So Eleven years later, I came home from college, and I joined a different church, and I'd have to ride past the house every Sunday, and it was condemned and all boarded up, and one day I just took a cordless drill to church with me and climbed through one of the back windows and crawled inside, and there was just so much ancestral conversation going on that I knew I had to fix the house up, so I tracked down the current owners and asked them if I could buy the house. And they agreed because they had purchased it to tear it down. But because it was historic, they weren't able to. So they had just boarded it up and left it there. So I was so excited and I brought my banker up to the house and he was like, honey, it does not have doors and windows. I don't know how we're going to get through underwriting. So he was like, "We we can't give you a note on this property. So... I actually ended up buying it on a land contract, and then (laughs) he asked me to get him plumbing windows, electric, and doors, and then they would fund the rest of it. What I realized later was once you get to plumbing windows, electric, and doors, that means you have walls, eating, everything else is done. So I had to complete the house, basically, in order to take out a mortgage, so... Four and a half years later we were able to open as a full service bed and breakfast. Oh wow. Okay. And the rest is history. You know, we were just able to open with a bang and really have the opportunity to to tell our story and to share our history. The the great part about it was just the journey of endurance, this desire to keep pushing no matter what the obstacles are. And I think that every project that I take on has those bumps in the road and you just keep moving forward because you realize that when you're doing the right thing, there could be some obstacles, but they're all going to work out. So I always tell people, you know, keep moving, just keep it moving. It'll shake out in the end. So Six Acres has been open since November of 2004. So we are into our 17th season. I bought Mm -hmm.
0: it in 2001, in April of 2001. So it's been a long time. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Okay. Have you discovered any new history in the 17 years you've been, you've occupied that property that you didn't have as it unfolds and you start to have more guests and you start to, you know, just kind of get rooted in the space? Absolutely. Um, Have you discovered any other, any additional historical facts or nuggets? Over the time you've been there?
1: (laughs) Well, we were able to purchase the house, and I've had several pieces of historic nuggets that have been given to me. We met a family who actually lived in the house at one point, and the granddaughter came, and then she brought back her grandmother, who told me stories that when they were little kids, her grandmother used to tell her about stories of when they would go into the woods. To have a picnic, but they never got to eat the food. So she said it wasn't until she read an article about the house being part of the Underground Railroad did she ever understand what her grandmother was speaking about. Because they were actually giving the food to the enslaved Africans on their journey, and her grandmother would just say, "Oh, we would all get ready to have a picnic, and we'd take our our coats and our and our food down there, but we never got to eat it." And so. She was really thrilled when she learned the history of the house and that story that her grandmother told her actually began to make sense. So that was
0: really powerful for us. Wow. Do you have any, I guess, how has the history of the property and the history that the property is connected to, how has that, how has that informed how you build out like a guest experience? And then, you know, when someone comes into the property for the first time to stay with you, how has like the historical nature of it influenced what they experience when they're there?
1: Well, at Six Acres, the house has got a tremendous amount of ancestral energy and a a whole lot of power. So... Most people, when they come downstairs, they tell us about how well they slept. And, you know, I tell them that this house has a history of housing weary travelers. So, of course, it would be natural for you to sleep well. But actually, you know, just making sure that people understand what safe houses were to those on their journey for freedom. And once you can really grasp that, if I can can successfully explain to you the, the experience of what it would be like to, to be on escape, on a journey, trying to find your freedom, then it really helps people to sink into what they're actually sleeping in. We really try to translate that moment in history to the, to the travelers today so that they can really experience the, the weight and the power of, of a place like that.
0: The deliberate decision to use, like, Black-owned businesses incorporate their, their products and work into your properties at this point, outside of the obvious motivation, I guess, how do you curate that? Like, what are you looking for? And then how do you tie that into, like, your brand story? And who's your very first, like, vendor that you called on or that you tagged in in a property?
1: Basically, there's black excellence in the in in every aspect of of business, and our job is really just to to find them. So we reach out, we source, we you know reach out to other friends. I don't know if you know who Maggie Anderson is, but she and her husband shopped black for a year. They're a couple from Chicago, and she has been a great inspiration to me and a great motivator. So I think that we had the opportunity to house her. Maybe, in the third or fourth year of owning six acres, and she really broke down to me the responsibility to be deliberate and She also shared with me several vendors that she's she's a walking resource for any vendor that you're looking for in any city in the country. You just call Maggie and she will tell you who you need to get. but I think it was just the opportunity to showcase us in our excellence and in every aspect of the hospitality. Field, from the toilet paper to the toothbrushes to the shampoos to the body butters we're actually creating these products we may never have the opportunity to to sell to a larger brand because oftentimes in order to even get into those portals you have to have you have to have a company that's having a revenue generation of at least a million million dollars a year so just that right there kicks most of us out of out of the industry so, If you go to a larger brand like Marriott or Hilton or the Hyatt, you're not going to see any black vendors in their portal because they're not focused on the small boutique vendors that are creating their own products and focused on the excellence of the quality of product that you're being given. So we just really wanted to showcase and highlight that and to ensure that we're responsible for our own success as we grow. So, our tagline for the brand itself is when we thrive, our community thrives. So, just being committed to the concept of making sure that Black folks get a seat at the table in the hospitality field, in all aspects of it, not just as the owners of the hotels, but as the vendors behind the owners.
0: The inspiration for the renovation of your first property, and of course, going from a single property into a boutique hospitality brand. I guess what drives your design decisions. I think being a hotel person myself, like that's one of the things that strikes you when you walk into any property, no matter what the size is, just the design and how intentional things are when you come into a place, especially being on the other side and working in a hotel and like having to know, we had to memorize all of the stories behind all of the design choices that were in like the very first property I worked in. So we had a set of wooden doors when you came in off of the drive, off of the main street into like the valet space. And there were these, this set of doors that were probably seven, 800 years old that were imported from Spain. And we had to know the story. We had to understand why there were two palm trees in front of the property that crossed each other. We had to understand what the Alhambra was and the fountain in the Alhambra and why that was significant. So we had to understand like those historical points, and it it did add to the guest experience. So when you, you know, start to grow, what drives a lot of those, like, design choices to, you know, in order to help people, A, understand the historical context, but also to lend a hand in the supporting, like, the the overall guest experience?
1: Well, I think that that's a major component. So, you know, because we focus on history, the most important part of of any hotel that we go into is really understanding the history of the communities that we're putting our hotels in, because we purpose to tell that African American story. So, when we went to Miami, for example, we we're in a historic African American community where black stars and entertainers that could perform on South Beach had to come over town to go to sleep because they weren't allowed during Jim Crow. So, we focused our second. Project on you know the history of Black people in entertainment in Miami, selecting people that were part of the change in the color line, being able to perform as well as sleep on South Beach. So it was a very deliberate decision. You know, I spent probably as a historian, this is my favorite part to sit down and dig up the history and and tie it all together where the stories actually make sense when we're when we're telling it inside of the space. So, you know, I probably spent a year doing research on each of the people that are members of the Harlem Renaissance that performed in Miami or that had some direct connection to Miami, such as Augusta Savage, who was from there, or Neale Hurston, who was, who was from Florida. And then being able to craft their stories and tie it into the, the communities where, we, where our hotel is. It's in a historic community called Overtown in Miami, which is basically downtown Miami. We can walk to the Heat Stadium. We're a few blocks off of Biscayne. But being able to tie that historical relevance into the into the story was very important. So I'm actually here in North Carolina on a on our next project and it is we have not identified the name of the project or any of those things yet because I've still got a lot of work to do with the community to be able to figure out what our name is going to be based on the history in the community where we are, the Black history in this community. So everybody's asking, what's the name? What's the name? And we're like, we haven't figured out the name yet because we haven't done enough research to be able to to get that name and to really grasp what story are we going to tell and that story helps to shape what the design is going to look like. So I think it's probably more of an ancestral guidance than, than a typical hospitality space. You know what you want to do and then you make it happen. We are part of the journey as the house begins to tell us or the hotel begins to tell us what story they want us to share with the world.
0: I don't think people, and again, it's like because you don't think of, people aren't necessarily thinking of hotels as as those particular types of experiences. I think you get to a a point where you're like, okay, it's just a place to stay or eat or I'm going to the spa. But to, to add a richer and deeper experience and connection to a property you're staying in and allow the property to tell a story and you can kind of sit in it and live in it and sleep in it for a minute. I think that's something uniquely missing from the larger hospitality conversation, but that's something I absolutely adore about like boutique space is because you can dig a little deeper into those things and really make these like very like beautiful experiences for people because you're not trying to serve. I mean, it was one point I worked at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville and that sleeps like 5,000 people. And so those, you know, to capture that spirit and that energy is a lot harder when you're, you know, when it's a conference hotel and you've got 5,000 people and all of these restaurants and food venues open and things like that.
1: Right, right.
0: So yeah. So taking the, taking advantage of the boutique space, which I absolutely adore and like in really intensifying the gratitude and appreciation people can have for the space it occupies, like the city it's in, the zip code it's in, how it helps that city tell its own story, what it means to the people who live there. So all of that kind of starts to come into play.
1: Exactly. And I think that it's really important to be able to stand strong with even being able to tell your story, because where, where we are right now in North Carolina, of course, this was an area that had Lots of slaves, there are lots of slave owners. The names of the streets and everything is you know is named after some famous person in the town who was previously an owner of us. So how we craft and narrate our stories woven into this insanely rich soil that we tilled is very important. and being strong enough to tell it in a way that allows people to honor and respect that history is true and that it is real. And I'm thrilled to be here because I can feel, I can feel my people in this town. You know, I can feel the soil in this town. And sharing those stories is going to be a very powerful telling. And it's something that we have to get prepared for mentally, you know, calling our ancestors to make sure we get it right and not be afraid, not be afraid to to tell where communities and families blend whether we like it or not. So that's a big part of the preparation for coming into into communities because our, you know, the African American story is pretty much untold and uncelebrated in almost every city in the country. And there's an uncomfortability with bringing our stories to the forefront. And so our commitment to doing such leaves the possibility that we're going to make some people feel uncomfortable. And that's okay. That is a hundred percent okay because it's very much time for our stories to be told as well
0: could not agree more. And I was going to, I'm going to jump ahead on this one question because I wanted to dig into a bit more about your team and how you built that team and all those things. But my first few questions are around the space that you occupy in the industry. So I, when I was doing my research and I was kind of digging into the, the Sojourner website and then some of the websites, uh, some of the property websites, and the thing that kept sticking out to me was the heritage tourism space and how quickly that's growing and how, of course, larger brands are going to eventually try to capitalize on it. They do a... Minuscule job of it now like if you go to Matt if you go to Nashville there's like pictures of guitars and stuff in the lobby and then if you go to Miami there are pictures of like Cubano sandwiches and, and the beach and then if you go to New York there are pictures of New York in the hotel yeah. so to, 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 so in that small effort of them trying to connect the property to the community there is a, a richer part of the industry that's growing which is like heritage tourism so was it kind of like the cart before the horse that you know you open that first property Property, found that this is the space you wanted to kind of exist in. And then as you continue to add properties to your portfolio, you enter into the boutique hotel brand space, and then you're in the, the heritage tourism space. So were those decisions deliberate at the top, like, you know, in your business plan, were you looking at it and this is where you wanted to land? No. Or was it kind of as these things unfolded, you found yourself going, you know what, this is the space we can occupy?
1: I don't think 20 years ago, I really had an understanding of what heritage tourism was. I just wanted to tell the story of enslaved Africans on the Underground Railroad coming through Ohio in a safe house. So, and it was really just all about trying to share the history of of the house. And it was, you know, it was later when I thought, hmm, can we expand upon this, that we really started doing research into heritage tourism? And understanding that it's the fastest growing sector of the tourism industry and that that our stories as African-Americans were the least told, and we probably have the most important story to tell in the American story, so are the most important untold part of the American story, and that that weaving is just not there for us in, in spaces. So Without knowing it, my first project was in was in Heritage Tourism, and I quickly learned that that it was a space that we wanted to be in. And that was more from trial and error, not from reading a book, but really understanding that when you had the opportunity to sit down and break bread or invite people to the table that were going to tell some powerful stories of how our our worlds collide, I really got to see the importance of why we needed this breakfast table experience in in America and why every day as we start to peel back the layers of racism, systemic racism in America, that that the tables need to be expanded to tables all over the country, because it's it's the not talking that does not allow us to change and move forward. And it's time to start talking. And it's our job to, to tell our own stories and to create safe places where those conversations can happen.
0: You know, it's so interesting. Like once I started the podcast and started to do a little food writing last year, year before, it, it occurred to me that a lot of times when black people enter a space or enter an industry, our work quickly becomes Activism, in a way, it becomes a a bigger. It has a a larger social repercussion, and it's not simply the the just doing business to have you know to be profitable. We always have to go outside of that. Like we always do have to expand well beyond just the hey this you know our my business has a bottom line to meet, and so while you know I've absolutely adore that aspect of being Black, but it's also, I think, one of the heavier labors of being Black is that no matter what we do, our mere existence is a space of resistance. And so we're constantly kind of thrown into the conversation of activism, no matter what. And even if it's like, Hey, I just wanted to do something because I like it and I enjoy it. It's just not something that necessarily can factor in all the time. Like hopefully we find ourselves in work that we absolutely love and adore enough to engage in it in this way as well. And so it's not lost on me that because you can't, it's not just going to simply ever be a place to come sleep or come have breakfast or, you know, spend some time in a city. It's never going to just be that. And so I think part of me is like, huge fan of the fact that it's not that just that and there's like richer there's richer context there but at the same time I'm like man I am surprised that black people are not more exhausted (laughs) considering that (laughs) no matter what (laughs) what we do (laughs) becomes this thing and you're just like ah okay so I guess I have to somehow be kind of activist now because I don't have much of a choice and specifically because it's like okay and we never picked or choose anything that doesn't have that meaning. I think we're just attracted to it because we know that life always has deeper meaning in anything we do, so to pick a property and be like, yeah, you know, this was part of the underground rower. Like that automatically puts you in a space. You're not like picking some random lot in the middle of a downtown area to erect a 300 room hotel just so people have a place to stay when they're there. It's so much more than that. And I think we intentionally, we we are attracted to those things anyway. So we do have to find space or hold space for ourselves in that way.
1: Well, I I also think that we're in a transitional part of, of telling our history and telling our story. We went from the oral history to the to the written history. And we are also understanding ourselves across the country. One of my friends that owns a B&B, we had this conversation yesterday about if she rents her place out, oftentimes more Black people will show up than said that they were coming on the reservation. And she said, Kristen, how do you handle that if more Black folks come so if they say they're going to have four people but when they come they have 10 people how do you handle that and are you upset and I you know we laughed about this for a long time because I said this is cultural yeah (laughs) and you have to let it be okay that it is cultural why do we sleep 10 deep because we like it you know and I was explaining to her even as a as an innkeeper as a woman who owns hotels Last month my grandma turned a hundred and we rented a hotel room and there were probably I, I can't even tell you how many of us there were in there, kids, the mamas, the daddies, because we all just wanted to be together. And I said it's not about finances, it's not about this thing that we're trying to be obstructionist to the limit. It is just how we how we travel. I mean, just like you were saying before, how we go to our aunt and uncle's houses. And even there, we're going to sleep 10 people in a room because that's, so we can stay up all night and laugh and giggle and catch up and, right. and do it. So I said, I think you probably need to change your thought process about why it's being done, you know, and and not villainize what is culturally universal to most Black families that we we love to be with each other. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's just kind of a, all of these are really teachable moments as we learn to navigate the hospitality space and how we communicate with one another about that navigation in a in a way that is that encourages us to be able to do us in in spaces. So like at Six Acres, we have ten rooms, twelve rooms technically, and you know, people say how many people can can sleep there, Kristen, if we want to do our family reunion we try to make sure that as many people that are comfortable sleeping in a room can, you know, if we need to bring in cots, you need to get in an air mattress and it's not because everybody's trying to save money. It is truly because this is how we get down and being able to understand that without judgment and without misunderstanding the souls of black folks, we're able to really create a healthy, happy, soulful experience that we crave, that we crave and that we love in a place where it says, you know, we don't care if it's 10 of y'all in the hotel room, knock it out. So I mean, it's not 10, but you know, I just think these are moments where we get to invite each other to the table our way and in a space that, that says it's okay.
0: Absolutely. I think people Assume It's like just about everything else, I mean, especially specifically in food and working in those spaces is like things like fine dining and the separations and the segregation and how we eat and not just what we eat is also something that we have to definitely talk about. I think the the how and mm-hmm. the methodology behind how we gather for a meal definitely is something that has some cultural divide to it there's a sense of like elitism to what's what's the right way and wrong way to do something and absolutely definitely creating spaces where people can start to dismantle a lot of that thinking so that they can understand that there's other ways to do things and it doesn't necessarily have to be a right or wrong way there's just other ways to do something so that's always been a part of like you know for me like in food and hospitality, like, okay, so why are we doing things this way? Or who decided that this was the standard for fine dining or luxury? Or, Absolutely. Like, who, who set those standards? Absolutely. You know, why aren't we in the room when those things are exactly. being discussed?
1: Absolutely. And because so many of our opportunities were based out of, you know, making a way out of no way. So when you make a way out of no way, and then you find out that that way is wonderful, do you change it because your economic situation has changed and you can have alternatives? Or do you just thoroughly enjoy the way that it was done when you were growing up and celebrate that in a way that, that makes it okay? And I think that for Black folks, we really have to to bask in the things that are beautiful about us and, and the way that we gather. And like you're saying, the way that we eat and really create that as a part of a heritage tourism understanding and an experience. And we're really in a great position to be able to transfer what is so beautiful about us to the rest of the world in a healthy and respectful way.
0: I love it. I've been talking with a friend of mine about what the word luxury really means and i remember there was a there was a cooking show that was that ran out of canada of, of quite a few years ago and the woman who hosted it had an episode about luxury and she had this really beautiful explanation about luxury and it was less about the cost of something and more about your engagement with it like how do you experience it is what really is defining what luxury is and like being in you know working in luxury properties um, or what is you know what the industry has labeled as a luxury property or in food trying to figure out how to offer somebody like a a high-end fine dining experience and thinking about the definitions of those things and like what we can do in order to start to not necessarily redefine but to find truer meaning in those words so like she talked about how luxury is a is a rich bubble bath and to think about luxury in those terms like for me luxury is being able to travel with your family and like you know family reunions always felt luxurious to me you got to eat things you didn't typically eat at home, you got to spend time with cousins you hadn't seen in a long time. I'm still exploring it a little bit because I want to really kind of dig a bit deeper on what we mean by luxury, because I think it does find its way, it bleeds its way into a lot of the experiences that we have. It creates a separation again and There's like a right and wrong way. It's like, oh, that's expensive, so it must be luxurious. Or you know, there's like it's it's like almost an automatic. And I'm just like, no, it's how it's how you come to something. It's what you take from it. It's how you experience it. For me, I'm like, luxury is like a cold winter day, and you get in your comforter out of the dryer, and you you know, in a hot cup of tea. So for me, it's it's that. It's like how is something feeding your soul. And now we are taking a brief pause to thank Global Cutler USA for sponsoring this episode of the Afros and Knives podcast. Many people have rediscovered their kitchens over the last year, and some have even rekindled their love for cooking. I hope this is a trend that grows up to become the new normal. Cooking at home can be amazing if you come to your cutting board with curiosity and no apologies, if your pantry and your fridge are well stocked. And if you have a sharp, balanced knife at the ready, like an 8 inch classic chef knife by Global Cutlery, made of Cromova 8 stainless steel, Global Cutlery has been expertly handcrafting knives inspired by the traditions of Japanese sword making and only using the finest raw materials available. They have been doing this work for over 30 years and it shows. The knives are for both the home and the commercial cook, and each knife has the signature global edge, and it stays sharper, longer. And like the samurai swords before them, each knife is carefully weighted to ensure the perfect balance in your hands. So to purchase your own knife and upgrade that knife game, I'm sure after a year you're ready to make a few replacements, visit the Global Cutlery website, globalcutleryusa.com or visit your local kitchen supply store like Sir La Table or Williams-Sonoma. Cooking is a practice and a craft, and every practitioner needs the right tools to produce the beautiful results that they want.
1: I had a travel writer come and stay with us at the hotel, and it was her and her husband, and she was just doing a series on B&Bs. And so when she got there, we had Jill Scott was playing and we ended up dancing and just having a glass of wine and laughing and talking and some of my friends came by and, you know, they got to interact with them and it was just this really organic, unplanned gathering that happened way before COVID. So the next morning, she, having breakfast with the rest of the guests and eating grits and potatoes and just, she said, I've done 15 B&Bs. And out of all of the ones that I've done, this is my favorite one. And I don't know why. Mm. And I said, did you ever spend the night at Black Oaks House and wake up in the morning and have breakfast? And she said, no. And I said, well, we generally got this every morning at our grandmother's house. And I said, it's soul. You know, this is the soul of us. She kind of got a tear in her eye and she said, can I quote you? Oh, And, you know, it really made me understand this stark powerful difference in what she had experienced previously with maybe a, what we would consider gourmet breakfast. And she said they all had a ton of sugar in them. And, you know, she's having all these pastries and here she's getting, you know, this real Southern style breakfast prepared well, but it was the energy around it. It was the people around it. It is that everybody is invited to that table. It may not always just be the guests that come for breakfast. Right. And she was just enamored with, with what our places bring to the table as it relates to being a part of a soulful experience. And she just had never had it before. I think that that's, that way it was luxurious to her. Yeah, it was luxurious to her and because her, it was
0: her favorite place to be. I, and I think that's luxurious to anybody. I just I've been specifically through the year this year because so many people have been at home and have spent a lot of time in the house. You know, mm-hmm. copious amounts of time with people who don't typically spend a lot of time with, even though you're related to them or married to them. And I think we've had to redefine comfort and luxury and connection this year for ourselves, especially in the, when people are like, yeah, I bought like 18 plants for my house. I upgraded my, my bedding this year. I got a new mattress this year. Like those things that take care of your soul we've all had to like reevaluate what we're doing. People are purging, putting things in containers and getting rid of things and throwing things out because they realize having more stuff doesn't feed my soul at all. It doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make me feel alive. Absolutely. What am I doing with it? And so I think it's a fantastic time, specifically going into like giving season and Christmas and people buying gifts for each other and everyone's kind of entering like the giving season in a reactionary way, like, oh, I'm going, we're going to react to how terrible this year has been for a lot of us by shopping. Right. And what I hope to do like towards the end of the year, because I do, I do a gift guide. And I was thinking about thinking through that gift guide this year. And what I'm hoping to do is transition people's thoughts away from accumulating stuff and more like, you know, because I want my gift guide to really be a curation of experiences of things you can do when either the world opens up or things you can do right now in your home to create a space that feeds you specifically because we can't go to places that typically do that. So like for me, it's like, how do you, you know, what do you get somebody? you know, Oh, they have all the stuff they need. I'm like, well, do they? Like they have a lot of stuff, but it's not necessarily the stuff they need. And I think that's where the, for me, the luxury thing comes in. People are like, well, luxury is not about what you need. It's about what you want. I think it's less about what you want. It's more about the deeper need. Yes. Yes. That, you know, I know people have been finding themselves running beach and running to the outdoors and camping and trying to find space to get quiet and in things like that, because it's not about the surface needs anymore. It's not about the cosmetic needs. It's about a deeper need and a need to understand yourself, a need to understand your own history, to understand your family and things like that. So I just, you know, I feel like jumping into this next phase of life for everybody is going to really have to be about curating experiences for themselves that have more meaning and not necessarily just going someplace and checking in at the front desk and dropping your luggage and taking off, but really taking a moment to connect with where you are, no matter what the, where that is. So whether you're home or whether you're staying at a huge property or whether you're staying at an Airbnb, like anything in between, like I think it's about being more mindful of, about the spaces we're occupying. And how we are interacting with each other and how those experiences start to intersect. So, like, I mean, I love the idea that, you know, this person is having a meal and they're having breakfast in this eye and it touches you in such a way that you find yourself emotional. And I'm like and I've only had like a handful of like food experiences like that where you actually can get teary eyed from a meal or an experience that would otherwise not seem like something emotional, like you shouldn't necessarily have the emotional attachment to staying. Right. type. You know what I mean?
1: Right. Yeah. Because that emotional, that connection is soul feeding, not just what's going into your mouth, but what's going into your spirit or what's going into your heart.
0: Exactly. I want to definitely spend like some time towards the end here talking about your team. I think it's something that, you know, in the podcast that I consume and in a lot of the reading I do around like black business and with about black founders and things like that is that while we'll touch on how we got someplace and what it took to get there, there's always a team. And I think we don't spend enough time really talking about the importance of having a a solid team and people who share a vision. So I definitely wanted to like that was I think one of the things that stood out the most to me on the website, the Sojourner website, is like looking at this group of people and seeing this team of people. And I know like working in a hotel and working in hospital in hospitality is a team sport. Like none of this works without a team of people who are all on the same page and who all share a very singular goal the first property I was at the Monte Lucia, the thing that was ingrained in us and drilled in us is the, the kind of the common vision that everyone on that property shared from the guys cleaning the pool to the people checking in the front desk to the folks at the valet stand, like all of that. And everyone had the same thing as was to create unforgettable guest experiences. And that was like no matter, I mean, our GM used to stop you wherever you were to ask you, like, okay, so what's our common vision? What's our common goal? And I find like the power of a team specifically in hospitality industry can make or break a brand. And so I wanted to talk a little bit about the the Sojourner team. You've got Mint consultant, you've got an interior design partner, you've got uh, an urban connoisseur, you've got a social investment holding. Like, when did you start to develop your team? Who were you looking for How did these relationships come about? And then, of course, moving forward, now that you've gone from a single property into a boutique brand, how do you see your team growing?
1: Well, I think the most important part about our team is just what you were saying about everybody kind of having a singular vision about, first of all, that are we all clear that we want to share the African-American story? And are we all clear that we want to connect with as many African-American vendors and partners as we can to grow the brand. And so once we were able to identify who those people were, and then from relationships, you know, our interior designer and another friend of mine introduced me to her. And while we have very different styles, it was a matter of her bringing her insane talent and expertise to the table with me bringing my historic reference to the table. So we could sit down and collaborate. And our project in Miami, it's all based on that 40s, 50s art deco that blends into the Harlem Renaissance that kind of meets into this moment in history that's showcasing the best and the sexiest of what Black folks had. You know, when I was explaining to her what the Harlem Renaissance felt like. And I said to her, let's create a lobby that even if you borrow that meat coat from the woman that you worked for, when you stepped out of that car, you strutted into into that building. And I said, that's the feeling that I want the lobby to feel like. And she got it. We were able to really, I was able to transfer the history of of Black people in the Harlem Renaissance moment in history, that this is a a very powerful moment where the greatest of us in the arts and the jazz and the culture were coming to the front stage in the thick of Jim Crow oppression, fully understanding that we weren't able to go everywhere, but these are the places that we wanted to go. And this is the look that we were bringing with us. And this is the feeling that we were bringing with us on that night. So, I told her when people walk into that Duns Josephine, that red carpet experience should feel like the Savoy. And being able to really go through history books and and read it and understand it, she got it. We're so proud of our look there. And I think that most of the team that that I work with are people that are entrepreneurs on their own that all have a focus on African American history and culture already in their brand, already in their in their businesses. So it's an easy it's an easy build. There were no obstacles to our connections. There's a lady that is the woman who makes it all happen for us, who directs all of our marketing, and just she's her own brain trust for me. Her name is Metris Batts, and she is. I can say something, and she can translate what I'm saying into something that makes perfect fit, <laughs> And it's just helping me frame how we're going to share, how we're going to share and expand our, and to expand our brand. She has a lot of experience and can help me shape and frame and expand our brand in a way that is just immeasurable. So whenever I tell her, because I, you know, my, I'm passionately driven by the history. So if I say, This is where I want to go. This is where we want to do the next hotel. Then the rest of my team has to say, "Okay, Kristen. Well, understand that there have to be economic development incentives in the towns that you want to go into in order for us to successfully be able to to navigate our hotel into that space." So (laughs) they do that part of the story, or they tell me, "Nope, we're not going there because they don't have any money for you to come." So I'm like, "Okay." Or, you know, just picking up the phone and saying, help us understand what are the development incentives in this town? And is it enough for us to bring our brand to your community? And speaking with the politicians in the the town to say, hey, this is a really unique brand. We think you guys have an amazing African-American story to tell. Are you open to a public-private partnership that allows us to come into your community and make your history richer and to highlight a part of your history that makes the whole history richer in a ridiculous expansion mode right now because of the Black Lives Matter movement. And now everybody is getting that, telling the African-American history story in in places that are revenue generating and in places that actually have a tax base that you get taxes every time somebody sleeps. We've got (laughs) that. heads and beds model, right? (laughs) That, wow, this could be a good thing. You know, we're already looking for economic development opportunities and we get to present something completely different and completely unique that really no one else is in the position to tell our story best, but Black folks. So it's a moment in our time where the world is ready to listen. We've been asked to come to Germany. Because there are incredible American jazz artists there. There are incredible German jazz artists there that are like, you're telling their stories? Come here. We got a place for you, Kristen, if you'll come build it. So I think this is just a a glorious time for us in the hospitality game because it's being able to tell our stories well and to really share just the beauty, the beauty of our stories around the world. (laughs) This summer or in the spring, I'm taking my little one to Paris if we can go, if COVID doesn't shut us down. She's eight years old, but that motivation is from her thoroughly understanding Josephine Baker and mommy, tell me about her because she's she's learning about all the members of the Harlem wow. Renaissance and she's understanding That and, you know, being in third grader and and learning about the Eiffel Tower and things like that. Yeah. But I want to go and make sure that we get to go on the tours that are focused on her history and where this beautiful blend happens. Because there is a Josephine Baker tour in Paris that you can go and learn all the Black history. There's a Black history tour, Black American history tour in Paris. And to be able to make these kinds of fusions is just beautiful. This is an amazing moment in it, in our history that we really do have the chance to tell our stories and tell them well. So just looking forward to what the next 5 years holds for Sojourn. Looking forward to establishing collaborations and partnerships with people that that see what we see. That it's not just telling our stories, it's telling our stories in a revenue generating in a revenue generating model that that can be successful for for anybody who's interested in in that kind of
0: partnership or collaboration. Well, that definitely answered my last question, because I usually ask, well, what do you see for the future of what you're doing? And so that definitely um, answers that question for me uh, <laughs> thoroughly. So at this point, with the world kind of in a pause still and kind of re-entering some um, some major COVID numbers and things like that and not super certain i think the rest of the year is kind of going to play out as it has but for for sojourner in the uh, how can the community connect with the brand i know you said you were in north carolina right now working on another property or another project so what's the best way to find out how to book a room where to stay Are you guys on social media so we can just follow the progress for the new project? So just uh, let us know how we can connect with the Sojourner brand and that way people are supporting and booking rooms and spending money and learning their history and all the other good stuff.
1: Well, in Miami, I don't know if you know, we pivoted. We're housing the homeless with the Miami-Dade Homeless Trust through the pandemic. So what started out as a 30-day contract, we're now moving into our eighth month. And it has really been just a gift for our brand because we're able to offer our best to our community. And it's really such a huge part of what the brand mission is, that we're not just here. We want to get into the community. We want to blend in and, and really be a vital part of the community. So for now, our Miami project is not open to the public Six Acres in Cincinnati is definitely available, and our website is sixacresbb.com. But you can Google Six Acres, we've been open for 20 years. So if you Google Six Acres Bed and Breakfast, we're going to come up pretty quickly. Same with social media Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Very easy to contact and connect to, to us with any of the social media outlets, as well as the Duns Josephine. With our new project, we're preparing for our, our launch that will probably, we'll at least do some sort of a Christmas launch. And in addition to that, we're launching a new website that's got all of our brand products on it. So you'll be able to shop from some of our local vendors, as well as all things that are about the brand, all things that are that are related to the brand. We have our own custom pillows and our own custom linens and things like that, that you'll be able to come into to the portal and purchase. If you've slept here, then you'll be able to have some of these kinds of things. And just reaching out to me directly. I'm on the website every single day. Me or Metris, we are very connected. We will respond within 24 hours. There's a lot of planning for the future. We understand that right now in this moment, it's not as easy to host large gatherings, but we've been fortunate to be able to host several small ones. I mean, almost all the, all the weeks have been rented out at the bed and breakfast because people do want to gather in a space where they can have the whole place and be together as opposed to going to a hotel and interacting with other people. So we automatically give you the social distance opportunity because you're in a, a six room building or five room building where it's just your family in that space i feel like when covid is open we will really be able to just open with a with a bang but in the interim you know it's there's a lot of planning growing it's not overnight when you take on a property and then from the day that you open that can be a year or so from identification of a property in a community to acquiring an asset to opening day so this year of 2021, we say we're going to identify our next five projects on deck and then begin the process so that in 2022, we're able to open successfully and get ready. So we'll be posting and letting everybody know every time we take on a new project and when our projected opening, opening date will be. But really looking forward to, to building a brand that, that tells our stories where we are.
0: Well, thank you so much. I mean, we know that our tech challenges will sometimes discourage us from continuing on. But thank you for continuing on with me today, <laughs> not letting <laughs> the internets overcome us. So I appreciate you. I am going to just hit the stop on the record. And if you could give it about five minutes to just process your, your file, and then I'll let you know when to go ahead and disconnect. Thank you so much for tuning into my conversation with Kristen Kitchen on this episode of Afros and Ives. To learn more about Sojourn Heritage, visit their website, SojournHeritage.com. With more people getting vaccines and traveling becoming a viable option again, be sure to check out Six Acres Bed and Breakfast or Duns Joseph in Miami. And be sure to check out next week's episode with the executive sous-chef for Tyson Cole's Uchi Dallas, Rhonda McCullough, will be joining me next week. A special shout out to the Afro Patreon community for their continued financial support. This show thrives because of your commitment to supporting it. As always, you can head over to the Afros & Knives website, AfrozenKnives.com, to sign up for the email list, to listen to past episodes, to buy Afros & Knives merch, and to check out all of the links and resources for each episode on the episode pages. If you enjoyed this episode, if you want to support the podcast, please be sure to share it with other people, to post about it on your social media, to engage just with the community and then leave a rating and a review on apple podcast and i want to say spotify so to catch the latest from yours truly you can follow me on instagram at chef tiffany t-i-f-f-a-n-i rosier r-o-z-i-e-r and on twitter by the same handle tiffany rosier and that's all for today and now may you be held in loving kindness May you be happy and safe. May you be healthy in both body and in mind. May you live a life of abundance and audacity. May your heart be at peace. And I will see you guys next week.